Welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tyler Crawley. And I know I told you yesterday that we had so much to get to today that we had to jam pack Thursday's episode. But I feel like I was kind of lying because we don't have a ton to get to. It is a lot, but it's not as much as I thought. So I do apologize if you prepared yourself for a wealth of knowledge because that's not what's going to be happening. Well, I mean, it's always happening here on the podcast, but not as much as maybe I had sold that was going to be happening on today's podcast. But we are going to be starting with very important data, and that is mortgage demand. And for the second week in a row, mortgage demand fell, which you kind of expect that right now with what's happening with rates, even though rates fell. Rates are still high. So we saw it was a small drop. Last week, it was almost double digits. This week, total mortgage demand fell 1.2%. This, once again, according to the Mortgage Bankers Association weekly survey, led, of course, by refi demand. Now, at this point, refis are only making up 32.3% of total applications, actually down from the prior week when it was 33%. So even if you're seeing big movements in the refi index, it's not having an impact on overall demand because they make up such a small amount of total application. So maybe I shouldn't say that the refinance index, the number was bigger. That's why I said that the refinance index was down 4% week over week, now down 75% year over year, and the purchase index fell 1%. Now, that's a bigger number overall because the purchase index is making up a much bigger component of overall demand. So if the refinance index is making up 33%, that means the purchase index is making up 67%. So even a smaller drop is going to have a bigger impact on total demand. Debt, like I said, down 1% week over week and now down 16% year over year, which once again, I need to stress, that's still not that bad. I mean, when rates are up as much as they are, the fact that purchase demand is still only down 16%, it's almost like a win, in all honesty here. Uh, and then as ARMS continue to grow in popularity, they actually fell. Again, this is the second week in a row, they fell to 9.4% of total application. So anyone that's selling you this line of BS that ARMS are now growing in popularity, and it's 2008 all over again, and here, you know, ARMS are going to be the majority of product, it's not even 10%. So <laughs> keep that... Keep that in mind when people are telling you how arms are coming back. I'm pretty sure they were close to the majority of loans as we got closer to that bubble bursting in 2008. So we're at 9.4%. It's important to keep those numbers in context, I will say. So as I mentioned, the rates actually fell for the week, surprisingly. Well, at least the majority of them did. So the 30-year fixed fell three basis points to 5.46%, which is still up 228 basis points from one year ago. And the average contract interest rate for a 15-year fixed also fell one basis point to 4.72. That, however, is still up 219 basis points from one year ago. Now, I mentioned ARMS. 
arms, the contract, the average contract interest rate actually increased somewhat significantly, seven basis points to 4.49%. That is now up 169 basis points from one year ago. So rates fell, but in the grand scheme of things are still up significantly from where they were one year ago, which is why I keep saying the fact that a 30-year fixed is up 228 basis points and demand is only down 16%. I think it's a win. I'm going to keep saying that. I think it's a win overall. Joe Kahn, the NBA's Associate Vice President of Economic and Industry Forecasting, note or I should say noted in a statement that even though refis are down year over year, most of the decline has happened in these last five months. I mean, there's just been a significant increase in mortgage rates these last couple of months, which is really what's pushed that refi demand just way down, just completely. Uh, Khan said, quote, most refinance borrowers continue to remain On the sidelines, as a result, and refinance applications have fallen in nine of the past 10 weeks compared to January 2022 when refinance activity was 66%. I'm sorry, it's down 66% from where we were in January of 2022. So you're looking at this big drop, but most of it is just these last five months. And you take this data with the data that we got earlier this week, and there are signs all over the place that the housing cooldown is upon us. We got falling mortgage demand, even with dropping rates. We got new home sales plummeting like we saw on Tuesday, and we got inventory levels rising. And it looks like the answer to the big question that many had, what was the level of rates or what level did rates need to get to to start causing a cool down? We might have our answer. <laughs> it might be right in front of us right now. It might be not necessarily 5%, but a little bit over 5% for a 30-year fixed. And then you can extrapolate from that what's happening with different products. And so maybe that's the magic number. It looks like it is. I mean, with what's happening with sales and demand and everything else. And as I will continue to say, this is a cool down, a slow down, not a crash. (laughs) Contrary to what Zero Hedge and other crash bros out there want you to think, this is what's supposed to happen when rates jump that much. In fact, as I keep saying, and I will continue to say this, you would think mortgage demand would be down more with a 228 basis point jump for a 30 year fixed year over year. You would think it would be down more than 16%. So it's a cool down. It's a slowdown. That is what we are witnessing. And we got a big report on Wednesday. Speaking of a cool down, we know the economy overall is also slowing down. First quarter, we saw a slight decline in GDP. And that is something that the Fed talked about at their last meeting when they decided to increase rates by 50 basis points. We got the minutes from that meeting. And so before we get into the minutes, they did release a statement with the minutes. And here's what they said. Although overall economic activity edged down in the first quarter, household spending and business fixed investment 
remained strong. Job gains have been robust in recent months, and the unemployment rate has declined substantially. Inflation remains elevated, reflecting supply and demand imbalance related to the pandemic, higher energy prices, and broader price pressures. The invasion of Ukraine by Russia is causing tremendous human and economic hardship. The implications for the U.S. economy are highly uncertain. If anyone that's been looking at the headlines recently knows about some of the concerns out there with regards to food and how important Russia and Ukraine are with regards to wheat and what impact that's going to have on food production. And the reality is it's uncertain. It's nothing set in stone. It's we don't know what's going to be happening. And that's one of the big concerns. There's nothing that markets hate more than uncertainty. They, they would rather knowing that something is going to collapse versus not knowing if it's going to collapse or survive. Knowing is far better because you can plan for it. Not knowing you can't. You can just sort of, as always, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. But knowing is always better. Uh, the Fed continues saying the invasion and related events are creating additional upward pressure on inflation and are likely to weigh on economic activity. In addition, COVID-related lockdowns in China are likely to exacerbate supply chain disruptions. The committee is highly attentive to inflation risk. And that was definitely, any way you look at this, one of their major concerns, because let's face it, the Fed has two real roles. I mean, there, there, there's two, what's some, the word is is slipping my mind right now, but they have two functions. There's two things. They are two mandates. There we go. Excuse me. Two mandates that the Fed has to worry about. Inflation, unemployment. And those are the only things they are supposed to be concerned with. Now, obviously, the Fed has gotten involved in a lot of other things, including they don't want to spook the market and they want to make sure the stock market doesn't plummet. And so there are other things that they are looking at and concerned with, but there are two mandates. What the Fed is supposed to be concerned with, inflation and unemployment. And to the fact that inflation is where it is, clearly that is something that they are concerned about. So they release their minutes and we're going to go through this real quick here. So consumer spending is one of the issues they talked about. So in the minutes, it says in their discussion of household sector, participants indicated that they expected robust growth in consumption spending. They pointed to several elements supporting this outlook, including strong household balance sheets, wide availability of jobs, and the U.S. economy's resilience in the face of new waves of the virus. And there is one thing I want to point out about the consumer balance sheets. The balance sheets are up. There's no doubt about that. The data is very clear. But I also saw a report today that showed that the people at the bottom like the the absolute bottom, lowest income, they have been just depleted. They're actually worse off than in 2019. So they have completely depleted all the stimulus, all the money they got, everything else. They're not running on fumes. And so that's not necessarily going to have a huge impact because, I mean, it's unfortunate to say, but they don't have a huge amount of consumer spending, but it, it can be the canary in the coal mine. And that, okay, now they've depleted their stimulus money. Does that then slowly move up to, say, the lower middle class and then the middle class and then the upper middle class? And so that is something that's important to keep an eye on. So overall, balance sheets are up. 
but there is one aspect of those balance sheets that have already been wiped out and it may not be reflected in the data because of the small percentage that they contribute to that overall consumer spending. And so it is something to keep an eye on. Now they mentioned housing, which is important here because we are the markets and mortgages podcast. They said a couple of participants reported that their business contracts continued to see robust housing demand and elevated home prices despite higher mortgage interest rates. And we are clearly seeing that that may not be the case anymore <laughs> with demand and sales and everything else. Housing is, it quickly changed. We saw this giant run up and then it kind of stayed there for a while. And now it looks like maybe we're going to see just as quickly of a return to at least normalcy. And that's what a lot of people have said, that maybe we might go from seeing one month, 20% year over year gains to like three months later, back to almost stagnation. And it's possible. You never know what's going to happen with this crazy economy that we are currently in. Uh, business and labor, uh, the minutes pointed out with respect to the business sector, participants cited robust consumer demand, healthy household balance sheets, and inventory rebuilding as factors supportive of business activity and investment. The ability of firms to meet demand continued to be limited by labor shortages and supply chain bottlenecks. And speaking of labor, they also mentioned that participants um, commented that demand for labor continued to outstrip available supply across many parts of the economy and that their business contracts continued to report difficulties in hiring and retaining workers. In fact, a few participants noted that there were signs that the pandemic-related factors that had held back labor supply might be abating further, especially in the case of prime-age workers. In addition, a few other participants suggested that the unwelcome erosion of real incomes due to high inflation may have contributed to the increase in labor supply. So some people who maybe were working two jobs we're like, oh, I only need one now. Now they got to get two again. People that maybe left the workforce are maybe picking up or coming back into the labor force, I should say. Many participants indicated they expected the labor market to remain tight and wage pressure to remain elevated for some time. And this is important because the JOLT report, the latest JOLT report was 11 million jobs, close to it, somewhere around there, right? I'm just rounding up pretty close to about 11 rounding. I can't remember if I'm rounding up or rounding down. It was close to a million jobs. So if you think about it, that's a lot of slack for the economy. So our economy can lose 11 million jobs and we technically would not see any job loss because we have 11 million openings. All of a sudden, all those companies get rid of their job listings. There's zero job openings, but no one got fired. Now, once again, this is all theory because we know that people are getting fired right now. We're hearing about layoffs. We're hearing about companies that are firing people and they're looking for employment somewhere else. But the fact there's 11 million open jobs is a very interesting component to this labor market. And so once again, that 11 million job, or those 11 million job openings create a very interesting situation with how much job loss there can be before you start to see a significant impact on the overall economy. So we're just in a very weird place. There is no doubt about that. Now, as I mentioned, one of the big mandates for 
the Fed, besides employment, is inflation. And they mentioned participants observed that inflation continued to run well. Yeah, I would say so. Continued to run well above the committee's longer run goal and that inflation pressures were evident in a broad array of goods and services. Various participants remarked on the hardship caused by elevated inflation and heightened inflation uncertainty, including by eroding American families' real incomes and wealth by making it more difficult for businesses to make production and investment plans. And they also point out that most of the participants indicated that their business contacts had continued to report that substantial increase in wages and input prices were being passed through into higher prices for the consumers. And that's that sort of dreaded wage price spiral that economists are concerned about, where prices start rising and then employees say, hey, I need more money to be able to live or otherwise I'm going to go somewhere else that's going to pay me more money. And they go, okay, we're going to pay you more. But then now they're experiencing higher labor costs, which means they're, they're, costs go up and then they have to raise prices. But then as prices rise, other employees are going to demand more money and you get in this very dreaded cycle. Prices go up, wages go up, prices go up, wages go up. And it's, it's not good. It is. It's not in any way, shape or form. And that was mentioned in the minutes where the risks associated with nominal wage growth continuing to run above the 2% inflation rate over time And the fear, and this is a big one. In addition, some participants emphasized that persistently high inflation heightened the risk that longer-term inflation expectations could become unanchored. In that case, the task of returning inflation to 2% would be more difficult. That's something that we saw in the 70s. It was something that Volcker had to deal with, where it's like after inflation, you know, we haven't had inflation forever, 40 years high. We got kind of used to low inflation. So these the shock that we're seeing right now, it's a shock. But human nature is very good at adapting. And the concern is, is that we eventually just accept that inflation exists. And then we start demanding these wage hikes. So it's like, all right, inflation goes up. Well, guess what? You're going to have to give me a pay raise. And then we find ourselves in a situation where everyone's just used to higher inflation and then higher wages. And then when the Fed goes, okay, we're going to try and raise rates to low inflation, everyone goes, no, 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 don't do that because that's going to hurt the economy. I'm going to get fired because that is a big concern. Think about it. If you're someone that's working a job and inflation's rising and you're concerned about that, if you're given a choice between your wages not rising and inflation goes up 10%, so now you have to buy 10% less stuff. It sucks, but it's better than the alternative scenario where let's say they get inflation under control, but you get fired. Well, so now you have no money to pay for food and housing and everything else. And so if you were to ask someone, what would you prefer your wages not keeping pace with inflation or not getting a wage at all? The majority of people are going to say, yeah, I don't care about inflation. I'd rather keep my job and have a little bit of inflation. And that's what I think the Fed is worried about, where people go, no, 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 don't don't put us into a recession. Just keep juicing the economy. And that is one of the big, big concerns that they are they are concerned about. So their goal going forward, participants remained or reaffirmed, excuse me, their strong commitment and determination 
to take the measures necessary to restore price stability. That's what their goal is. That's why they raised the interest rate 50 basis points. And they said they are also looking at 50 basis points as sort of being the standard going forward. And their outlook, participants agreed that the economic outlook was highly uncertain and that policy decisions should be data dependent and focused on returning inflation to the 2% goal while sustaining strong labor market conditions. So the Fed has their work cut out for them. There is no doubt about that. (laughs) They definitely do. And the, the minutes were sort of a mixed bag. The market obviously rejected somewhat positively to them, but clearly they have some concerns about inflation becoming sort of entrenched, becoming a part of the overall economy, and then makes it harder for them to deal with it. They're concerned about what impacts the uncertainty of the market, what's happening in Europe, and is that going to make inflation worse? What's happening in China? Is that going to make inflation worse? Because, I mean, if the supply issue does not get fixed, It doesn't matter what we do with monetary policy, we're still going to have inflation. If supply remains tight, even if we lower demand, we're still going to have inflation unless we crash the economy, which is what the Fed does not want to do. So definitely mixed minutes. No doubt about that. And we got to go. We're out of time. You guys enjoy. (laughs) Hopefully that wasn't too boring. I know we were reading a lot of the minutes from the Fed and that can get boring, but hopefully you realize what's happening with the overall economy and how that's going to impact housing and everything else. But we got to go. You guys enjoy your Thursday. We'll be back here Friday morning for always the best edition, the Friday Markets and Mortgages podcast. But until then... Remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.